as we're going through here at West Hills, we're going through this pastoral transition, just trying to kind of set things up, you might say, in terms of uh, two sides, two things going on. Uh, last week, we were in 2 Timothy, and, and I was posing the question or presenting the case, what every church wants in its pastor, <clears throat> what every good church wants in its pastor. And we use Paul's instructions to young Timothy to sort of examine what some of those qualities are that a healthy church is looking for in the shepherd leader who's, who's directing them with, with his fellow elders. And so t- today, tonight, we want to look at the other side. <clears throat> Last week, uh, Will was kind of on the hot seat, you might say. Well, tonight... Guess what? You're all on the hot seat. Uh, what every pastor longs for in a church. What every pastor longs for in a church. What every pastor who really wants to honor God longs for in a church that will be honoring to God. And perhaps the most concise description of the characteristics of a really good, vibrant, healthy, loving, growing supernatural, God-at-work church that you have in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read it in just a minute. It's the birth and the inception of the church in Jerusalem, a brand new baby church that ended up being a really, really big baby in size. And uh, the apostles are going to have to try to figure out, now what do we do? How do we handle this thing? Let me set up the context a little bit. Prior to Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, one of the Jewish feast days, Jews called it the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It's where where Jews would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this this annual feast. And so you you had Jews from all over. You had Jews from Italy, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Libya. Um, just a, a wide spectrum of people all converging on the city of Jerusalem. And there had been this supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You know, to sort of set it up, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has spent roughly six weeks in his resurrection body, reve- appearing to the apostles and to many other people. And then he has ascended back into heaven. Now a few more days have gone by. And it's, it was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles in a manifestation of, of signs and wonders. There's some, some crazy stuff's going on. All these people from all over the world, uh, the, then, the, the surrounding world, were hearing the apostles speaking in their own languages. And uh, that was just really strange. And the people are saying, what is going on here? And of course, there were some who were mocking and laughing and kind of making fun of what was going on and saying, well, obviously the apostles are drunk, too much wine. And Peter stands up and says, no, that's not the case. We're not drunk. Uh, give us a breathalyzer test. Have us walk a straight line. Um, we're not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel said would happen in the last days, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on God's people, men and women, young and old, and they would prophesy and dream dreams and have visions, and there would be supernatural manifestations of God's power. And that's what you're seeing happening here. 
And basically, at that point, the people said, well, what do we need to do? If God is doing something big, what do we need to do? Because it says that the people were cut to the heart. And that was, again, the Holy Spirit was, imagine all these people and the Holy Spirit's moving like the wind through the hearts and the minds and the lives of all these people. And it says they were cut to the heart. And that was a work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And Peter says, you need to turn to God. You need to, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to trust in this Jesus, this Messiah who's come. God in the flesh. You need to trust in him. It was basically, it was the very first gospel message uh, that the, the apostles delivered in Acts chapter 2. And as a result, it says that 3,000 souls were added that day to the church. Now every year, it's either Christianity Today or one of, the, one of the organizations publishes a list of the fastest growing churches in America and the biggest churches in America and all these phenomenal numbers and phenomenal sizes. But I, I, can, I think I can tell you that there is no church that has ever experienced the phenomenal rate of growth in such a short amount of time as the church in Jerusalem at this point in history. <clears throat> And the apostles are looking at each other saying, now what do we do? And Luke tells us several things that happened in the ensuing weeks and months that really, really were critical for this baby church in order for it to be healthy and growing and vibrant. Now, we would like to think that all of these characteristics that we're going to look at lasted forever, but they didn't. Uh, the Jerusalem church, and like all the other churches, had all kinds of troubles and problems. But um, these were important elements for this early church, and I will tell you, these are some of those things that every good pastor longs for in the church that he serves. So we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and I ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. <clears throat> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so Lord, we thank you for these words, and we pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher this evening. We give this time to you for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let me just call out some of the things that I believe a pastor longs for in a church that you see in the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. First of all, it was a learning church. It was a learning church. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves. To, to, if you devote yourself, you give yourself to something. 
you commit yourself to something, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so you essentially had hundreds of spiritual kindergartners in Jerusalem at this point, and the apostles were the kindergarten teachers. We have a three-year-old granddaughter, Lucy, and she is, she's a case. But she soaks up everything. You know, she's just continually learning, and she's, she's soaking up things that you don't even know she's soaking up. And she's eager to learn new things and to discover new things. And her, 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 her rate of learning, I think, is kind of like this. Well, that's, that was the early church in Jerusalem. They were eager to learn. They, were, they just wanted to soak up whatever the apostles would, would teach them. They, they wanted to know about Jesus, God's son, taking on flesh? Seriously? Incarnating God so that Jesus would say, you want to know what God's like? Look at me. You know what's on, if you, you want to know what's on God's mind? Let me tell you what's on my mind. You want to know what's in God's heart? Let me tell you what's on my heart. Tell us about Jesus. Tell us more about him. We didn't get to be there with him like you did. We, we didn't get to see and hear him give all of his sermons and messages. And so you've got to tell us. They were eager to learn. They wanted to know about the Father. You know, what kind of God would send his one and only son to come and live with people who would eventually kill him? What kind of God would do that? And they wanted the apostles to explain this God to them. They were eager to learn. Tell us about the Holy Spirit. We've seen these manifestations of crazy things going on. Tell us, what, what's that all about? I mean, they were just flat out eager to learn. And so they devoted themselves to listening, to thinking, to pondering, to absorbing, to assimilating into their lives, their minds, their hearts, their actions, everything they could about this brand new thing that they were a part of. And I'll tell you that a good pastor longs for this kind of eagerness on the part of God's people to learn, to be hungry, to learn about God in such a way that it changes their lives. A good pastor longs for God's people to not be lazy with their Bibles, but to be in their Bibles, reading and studying and memorizing and meditating and then living out things that they're learning from Scripture. That's what a pastor loves to see happening. And that's what God's people love to see happening, right? This isn't exclusive to pastors and to elders. This is what God's people who are hungry say, boy, this is exciting. The people in our life group are just eager to learn and to grow in their faith. And it isn't just head knowledge. It isn't just head knowledge. Be clear on that. Evangelical churches, we can be guilty of getting into the whole thing of head knowledge where we just keep learning and learning and learning. And it, No, what I see happening and what we see very clearly in Acts chapter 2, it got into their hearts. It got into their affections. It got into their actions. It changed them. They were different men and women because of the apostles' teachings. So they start giving up things that they're doing that are damaging to themselves and to others. They, they want to treat people the way Jesus treated people. They want to speak up for the person who's being treated unjustly the way Jesus spoke up for people who are being treated unjustly. They want to cross over racial barriers the way Jesus crossed over racial barriers. 
They want to learn to forgive the way Jesus forgave them. They want to learn how to lay down their lives the way Jesus laid down his. They want to become incarnations of Christ, just as Christ was an incarnation of the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And as Christians, people, they want to be able to say, we want people to look at us and figure out what Jesus looks like. Look at us, look at the church, and you can see what Jesus looks like. That's what a pastor longs for. John MacArthur talks about what he hopes and longs for as a pastor. He says, you know it's not about the numbers of people in your church. Mm -mm. It's not about a successful worship service. It's not about a big event. He says, no, my life sort of rises and falls in terms of gratitude and joy on the basis of what I see in the sanctifying process in God's people the flock the Lord has entrusted to me. That's what thrills a pastor's heart. And so I would just say, pray for a hunger and an eagerness for for God. Pray that the Spirit of God would give the people of West Hills a hunger to learn more. Don't be content with what you know about God. There's so much more for you to learn. So much more for you to learn and to know. The second thing that a pastor longs for that I see in Acts 2 is is for the church to be a sacrificially caring church. Sacrificially caring church. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship. Koinonia. From koinos. The word just simply means common. Common. Koine Greek versus classical Greek. Koine Greek was the, the, the common language of the people. Koinonia is about sharing a common life. First of all, sharing a common life with God. We have fellowship with God. We, we share a common life with God. That's incredible that you and I should have fellowship with the God of the universe. John writes, 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship, common life with us, and indeed, in other words, amazing as it may sound, our fellowship is with the Father. Our fellowship is with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, that's incredible. That's that's our common life. God. Our common life is God. Our common life is Christ. Our common life is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So that's what's at the core of fellowship. They, they They devoted themselves to the fellowship That's at the core. You don't have any other fellowship unless you have that fellowship. Fellowship with God. New life. A new reality. But then as a result of that, koinonia is also the common life that we share with each other. It's this new life where we are giving and we are receiving with others who are also in fellowship with God. 
You see, if you share common life with the Father, you're also going to be sharing common life with the members of his family, his sons and his daughters. We give to others, we receive from others. That's fellowship. And this is what Luke saw happening in the church in Jerusalem. And he, and he, gives it, he, he sort of explains it in some detail so that they understand, what do you mean, Luke, when you say that they devoted themselves to the fellowship? He says, well, let me explain it for you. Verse 44 and 45. This is the way it was working itself out in this church. All who believed were together, had all things in common. That's common, koina. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You see, this is where fellowship moves into a whole new dimension. This is not just uh, having a social after church, is it? As wonderful as those are, as good as, as, good as table fellowship is with the saints, this, this is a whole new dimension here. I mean, this, when I read this, this is abnormal behavior. I mean, a lot of us, probably most of us, I would imagine, are most comfortable with normal behavior. We want things to be normal. We get uncomfortable, uncomfortable when it gets abnormal. We don't, basically, it's, you know, don't do anything out of the ordinary. Don't, don't do anything that might come across as being just a little bit crazy. Well, friends, this kind of stuff in Acts 2 would seem to me to fall into the category of crazy. They were selling their possessions. Some were selling their real estate. Others were selling valuables, stuff they didn't need. Now understand, neither Jesus nor the apostles forbade private property. This isn't about communism. This is about common life. Where there's a whole lot of giving and receiving going on where our proclivity for materialism isn't allowed to rule our lives, but rather we hold our possessions with open hands. And that sometimes, if we feel led by the Spirit of God, we actually sell some of that stuff so we can meet the needs of others. That's koinonia. That's fellowship at a whole different dimension. You just might do something unexpected. That was happening in Jerusalem. They were holding their personal property with open hands, with the tangible needs of brothers and sisters in Christ being of much greater importance than their stuff. We can use this stuff to meet the needs of someone who is in need. That was radical. The Apostle John will later write in his first epistle, by this we know love. In other words, John says, you want to know what love looks like? I'll I'll tell you what love looks like. By this we know what love looks like, that he laid down his life for us. So again, get this. God the Father laid down his son for us. Christ laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And John, it's a rhetorical question. John is saying it doesn't. It doesn't. 
There's no fellowship at that point. There's no, there's no giving and receiving of common life at that point. John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk. Let us love in deed and in truth. So there's that whole incarnation thing going on again. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. The son incarnated the father's love by laying down his life. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters so that the world around us, so that our neighbors, so that our family members who don't know Jesus can see what Jesus looks like. And I will tell you that a pastor would die to be a part of a church that's doing that to the max. And a lot of that goes on here at West Hills. And like any church, it can, it can only increase. It can only get better. I, I would just say that's the kind of church that makes the world sit up and take notice. That's the kind of church that makes people talk. Have you heard what they're doing? I mean, those people, they don't just go to church. They do some crazy things over there, and it's not, it's not handling snakes. They're holding each other's lives in their hands, and they're, they're willing to do really remarkable things to meet needs. They really know how to love. The third thing that a pastor longs for in, in his church is for it to be a truly worshiping church. People who really, really know how to worship God. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. <clears throat> so you've got two expressions of worship here, sharing in the Lord's table and praying with each other and praying for each other. The breaking of bread is a reference to what Jesus instituted with his disciples. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, take, eat, this is my body. And so this is a worshiping church, a church that's remembering Christ and the Lord's table. But I would also extrapolate that even further, I guess. They were also breaking bread in their homes. I really think every time God's people break bread, Jesus would say, think of me. Think of me. I'm the bread of life. What you're eating right now for supper, you're going to be hungry again in a few hours. But if you eat of me, if you eat of me, I'll, I'll satisfy your hunger. Whatever it is that you're drinking right now, it'll quench your thirst for a little while, but you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever really thirsts, whoever really thirsts, drink of me. Drink of me. I am your sustenance. My death is your life. It's a worshiping church, a church that worships Christ, figures out a way to bring Christ into every expression of life. And then the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. It would seem to suggest corporate gatherings of prayer as opposed to individual prayers. We should be, we should be praying secretly, privately in our prayer closets in our devotions, but I think here he's saying they devoted themselves to praying with each other. When they were together, they prayed for each other. One of the things they would do, they wouldn't just get together and have fellowship. They'd say, who needs prayer tonight? Who needs prayer? And somebody would say, I really could use some prayer. There's that giving and receiving of common life. Giving and receiving common life. 
I need prayer. And I'm, I'm more than willing to admit it. You know, I think a lot of us have trouble receiving. We, we think it's spiritual to give, and it is. But somehow, I, th- I don't know if we really think it's all that spiritual to receive. But it is. That's fellowship. It's common life. It's common life. And so we're not only laying down our proclivity to materialism, but we're also laying down our privacy to where we're willing to let down, tear down some of those walls in fellowship and let people into our lives a little bit more. As a pastor, I love to see that in fellowship, and I know Pastor Will does too, where we genuinely are getting into each other's hearts and lives and where we're trusting each other in, a, in whatever setting that is. I had some come into, into my office this week and just pour out their heart to me, told me things that hadn't been told to anybody else. And I'd like to think it's because this person felt that they could just really, really trust me with what's going on inside their life. That's what you want to happen in fellowship. They devoted themselves to the prayers, meaning I need the prayers of God's people. I need to pray for the people of God, and I need to be prayed for by the people of God, and we need to gather together, whether it's prayer meetings, prayer here in the sanctuary, prayer in your life groups, a church that worships God in common life prayer. Fourthly, a pastor longs for a reverent church. A reverent, a church that reveres. It says in verse 43, and awe, A-W-E, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now you need to understand what was happening through the apostles at this particular time in history was unique. It was a unique time. Jesus had been raised from the dead As I said earlier, spent 40 days showing himself to people. He sends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. And the Lord was confirming to the people the authority and the message of the apostles by giving them a season of empowerment through signs and wonders. Supernatural things were being done through the apostles so that they would even lay people out in the street so that maybe just the shadow of Peter might might brush by someone who needed to be healed. Acts 5 says many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And so you can see why a sense of awe. Wouldn't awe come upon all of us if we, saw, if, if we were experiencing that? Now, the question, are those same things happening today to the same degree as they were then? And my answer biblically would be, and historically, and currently, contemporaneously would be, no, they're not. Again, because of the unique circumstances surrounding that particular time in the history of the church. Now, God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit's still at work. And so we pray for amazing things. We should be a church that's praying for healings. 
Pray for God to reveal his power. Pray for God to do powerful things. And at the same time, we don't presume upon God. We, we unashamedly follow Christ's example. Father, if it's possible, remove this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. It's a church that is filled with awe. But frankly, friends, I would, I would tell you, I believe the most amazing things. I mean, it would have been pretty incredible to see some of those wonders and signs in the first century. I will tell you the most amazing things that I believe God is doing today is changing people. Changing people. See, someone being born again is just a whole lot more incredible and wonderful to me than someone being healed of even cancer. Trust me, when our son had leukemia, we prayed and asked God to heal him, and God did, praise God. He healed him. But it's our kids being made alive in Christ and wanting to love Jesus that thrills me and their mom more than anything else. You want signs and wonders? Pray for signs and wonders in your children loving Jesus. You want signs and wonders? Pray for circumcised hearts in prodigal sons and prodigal daughters who have wandered away from the faith. You want signs and wonders? Pray for people to be set free from addictions and destructive habits. Pray for signs and wonders of marriages being restored and dads who had anger issues being changed into dads who are tender and loving with their kids. That's where you want to see signs and wonders as far as I'm concerned. Because changed lives witness big time and lasting time over some miracle that happens in a day. Number five, as a pastor, you want your church to be a delightful church. Just delightful. 46 and 47, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. I just am so glad that Luke put that in there. I think that's just Luke saying, boy, this church was a great place to hang out. These people were just having a great time. You see, Luke's description of the early church in these verses is so good because it conveys that the church was filled with awe, reverence, worship, and that it was a really, really joyful group of people. See, being with each other, worshiping together, taking care of each other's physical needs, you get the sense that it was just a really wonderful thing to be a part of. Being a Christian and belonging to the church in Jerusalem was not a glum affair. This was a smiling church. These people were happy. They just, they really enjoyed each other. They enjoyed spending time with each other. They loved to worship. And in that enjoyment, they were taking care of each other's needs. They were selling their property at times. They were selling stuff they didn't need so they could, you know, scrounge up some money to pay somebody's medical bill. 
pay somebody's utilities, pay somebody's rent. It was a happy church. Now, don't misunderstand me. They would have their struggles because it was a church filled with people just like us. They would have their persecutions in Jerusalem. Oh yeah, persecution would come. But in the midst of it all, there was a spirit of joy and delight. One of the many blessings that this church, I believe, has experienced over the years is that spirit of gladness and joy and delight and being with each other and doing life together, loving each other and being loved by each other. And I can tell you, matter-of-factly, there are a lot of churches where that just isn't the case. There are churches where there is division and rancor, infighting and ill will among the members, and boy, that's hard on a, past, on a pastor. That's what drives pastors out of ministry. You will bless your pastor and your elders and each other by being a church that never allows that kind of stuff to crop up. When there is something that could cause division or disagreement, you go to the person, you resolve it, you figure out what do we need to do here to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You become a church, you continue to be a church as you are that pursues the fruit of the Spirit in all of your relationships and in all of your dealings with each other in the coming months and years. You run hard after love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. That's a great, great church. Lastly, a pastor wants the church he serves to be a growing and a going church. The Lord, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church in Jerusalem was growing. The church in Jerusalem would eventually start going. It wouldn't happen right away. It would take some persecution to move them out of the city limits. It would take some scattering. They loved to gather. They hated to scatter. And so God would say, no, it's time to scatter because there's other people who need, there's other people that I'm calling in to the fold here. Two important phrases that I would just point your attention to here in verse 47. The Lord added to their number. Key phrase. It was the Lord who grew the church. Granted, he did it through the preaching of the apostles. He did it through the signs and wonders of the apostles. He did it through the, the, the love of the common life that they were sharing with each other. And that was a witness to the, to, the, to the rest of Jerusalem. People were watching all this happening. I'm sure he did it to a certain extent through the witnessing of some of those who were being saved. But make no mistake, friends, it was the Lord who was adding to the number day by day. There wasn't a church growth plan. There was, this wasn't the result of a slick marketing program. It wasn't the result of having all the latest technology or the greatest kids program in Jerusalem. No, this was the Lord growing his church because it is his church and he gets to add people as he so wills. Can I hear an amen to that? 
And then the second phrase, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So the church grew not simply in numbers. Mm -mm. No, it grew by those who were being saved, those who were being born again. See, being saved means people were being born again by the Spirit of God. New life. Ephesians 2. As for you, you used to be dead in your sins and transgressions, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirits that's at work in, in, in the rest of the world of disobedience. But God, in his great love, saved you by his grace. That's what you want in a church. God saving people, taking people who are spiritual corpses and making them spiritually alive. That's the kind of church that a pastor longs for, where people are being born again. Born again. Brand new life. We're, we're going to have a, you probably all heard, we're going to have another baby in our family here in a few more months. Our daughter is pregnant, uh, what, 14 weeks, 15 weeks, someplace in there. It's going to be a baby girl. We're going to experience that, that, that birth again, you know. Brand new baby. That's what you want as a church. You want births. You don't just want people filling chairs. You don't just want crowds. You want people whose lives are being transformed by the Spirit of God. Now notice, you don't want to miss this. I think this is very strategic. Luke puts this, the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Luke puts this at the very end. Verse 47 follows verses 42 through 46. So the church in Jerusalem was a learning church. It was a worshiping church. It was a sacrificially caring church. They were taking care of each other in radical ways. They were honoring the name of Jesus. They were celebrating and sharing on the Lord's table, breaking bread in their homes. It was a church where supernatural things were going on. It was a happy, delightful, joyful church. And then, in the midst of all of that going on, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did that work? People in Jerusalem were watching what was going on. They were seeing people's lives being changed, marriages being changed, men being changed, women being changed by the gospel. They were seeing love being put on display in really crazy ways, people selling their stuff to take care of the poor and the needy. They saw the joy and the gladness and the delight and the generosity, and they wanted that for themselves. And the Spirit of God said, you can have that for yourself come home. Trust in Jesus. See, I don't believe that order is by accident. In fact, I think that's predominantly the way it's always going to work. That's the way God did it himself. That's the way God did it himself. That's what Jesus did. Well, there you have it. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you I'm pretty sure I can tell you on, the, on behalf of Will 
As these things continue to happen at West Hills in increasing measure over the coming months and years, you will have a pastor who is humbled and ecstatic and expectant and even more prayerful and even more in the Word because he's seeing the way the Word is transforming lives. And it'll be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so I would simply say to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the church. It is your creation. It is your, your baby. You have given it birth and life. You sustain it. You nurture it. You feed it. You grow it. You protect it. You watch over it. You hover over it. You empower it. You correct it. You love it. Oh, how you love it. You love your church. Thank you. We give you all the glory. And our prayers are bold prayers. We pray bold prayers tonight that you would do immeasurably more than all that we might even tonight ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, your people all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.